Hello and welcome back to Twin Peaks Talk, your weekly recap of the Twin Peaks series starting with season one going all the way up to the current season three and fingers crossed maybe we'll get a season four at some point. My name is Chris, I'm your host and joining me as ever is my co-host Dr. Sean Travers who is across many a pond over in Ireland and is the author of Trauma in American Pop Trauma in American Popular Culture and Cultural and Cult Texts, 1980 to 2020, uh, available everywhere. So please go to her pinned tweet to get more information on her book. We are presented by the Cult Film Companion Podcast, and just like the CFC, we are available on all major podcast platforms. Please follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Cult Film Comp, C-U-L-T-F-I-L-M-C-O-M-P. Please follow Dr. Sean Travers on Instagram and Twitter. All her information is in the episode description. We are also a featured podcast in the Blind Knowledge Collective at www.blindknowledge.com. A great website to check out podcasts and videocasts from around the world. Also, we are a featured podcast on Newsly. Newsly is an audio app for iOS and Android that captures the latest trending articles based on topics that you choose to follow and then reads them to you in a natural human voice. For the first time in the history of the internet, the entire web becomes listenable. Download and use Newsly for free today. And please use the promo code C-O-L-T-F-1-L-M. That's cult film, drop the I, pop in a one, and get a month free of Newsly's premium service, courtesy of us. So with all that out of the way, we are currently at Twin Peaks Season 1, Episode 3. Originally aired April 26th, 1990. This episode was written by Harley Payton and directed by Tina Rathburn. This would be the introduction of both of these creators to the series. Both of them would go on to later work on the series. Tina Rathburn would go on to direct an episode, I believe, in season two. And Harley Payton would would stay on as a, as a, as a writer through seasons one and two. And when I was doing my research, the name Harley Payton had stuck out to me is uh, I had recently watched or rewatched a movie called Less Than Zero a couple weeks ago, and he was the person that uh, adapted the screenplay. It was originally a a Bret Easton Ellis novel that was uh, brought to screen, and uh, he did the, the screenplay for it. And I, I guess mo- most people are familiar with the Brett Easton Ellis novel or film, American Psycho. That's probably his most uh, known project. But Less Than Zero is a, is a good 80s movie. If you want to see a young Robert Downey Jr. living it up in the Hollywood uh, lifestyle and doing lots of drugs, uh, Less Than Zero might be a movie to check out. Kind of a depressing ending, though. But the, all that out of the way... Um, Sean, what were your initial thoughts on episode three? We've got some great set pieces here, but I guess the, the, the real the real standout is probably the funeral scene. But overall, we're 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 relatively young to this this series, as it were. How did this episode sit with you? Uh, I thought it was another one of those episodes that just covered all the bases it shows like everything that's good about twin peaks you got a bit of each of the genre the twin peaks uh, parodies and um, it's a good balance of characters as well you, you get to see most of them in this 
Right. Because it is another kind of um, the funeral of Laura Palmer, just like, um, unfortunately, a lot funerals do in general, but they just bring people together for better or for worse. And, and we certainly have that here. But as always, I'm just going to start out with um, our log lady intro here. So this is our little intro to the episode. Very telling of um, kind of what what this episode is uh, setting us up for. So this is Margaret Lanterman, the Log Lady's intro to this episode. There is a sadness in this world, for we are ignorant of many things. Yes, we are ignorant of many beautiful things. Things like the truth. So sadness in our ignorance is very real. The tears are real. What is this thing called a tear? There are even tiny ducks. Tear ducks. To produce these tears should the sadness occur. Then the day when the sadness comes, then we ask, will the sadness that makes me cry, will the sadness that makes me cry my heart out, will it ever end? The answer, of course, is yes. One day the sadness will end. Something that just occurred to me as I was reading that is that she's referring to tears and tear ducks, D-U-C-T-S. But later in this episode... We have a very quick scene where Agent Cooper and the sheriff are going to um, interrogate Leo. And Agent Cooper is just kind of blown away. He's floored by ducks on a lake. He's he's very much just that. And that's kind of like the innocent, innocent boy next door kind of quality that Agent Cooper has. So I think there's some interesting little wordplay going on there with ducks and ducks. And then this, of course, this, this episode opens with um our our previous episode had ended with agent cooper having a dream and this episode reveals that yes he can remember most of the dream but he doesn't know who the killer is but he in fact says that his dream is a code that must be cracked to solve the crime which we get some very interesting psychology going on in twin peaks we already had some of it going but now that we've got dream uh, dream logic, dream thought. There's some very interesting uh, Jungian, uh, Carl Jung, Jungian uh, psychology going on here as far as um, archetypes and the subconscious. And that's going to be a continuing theme throughout not only Twin Peaks, but just throughout David Lynch's work. It's a very, very dreamlike quality. And that really kind of gets put on the front burner here in this episode. And, you know, I I agree with you. This is one of those episodes that I could see why this became such a cultural phenomenon. You know, we're only, you know, technically this this is a... Is this the fourth? So this is the fourth episode, I guess. Even though it's... Um, Yeah, it is. If we count the first one as one long episode, but some people don't. They split. Okay. And, of course, we've got one of my favorite... One of my favorite characters in this in this episode, Albert, who has probably some of the best lines, who is very funny, but he's also he's kind of a jerk. <laughs> you know? Yeah, uh, he's he's mean, but it's understandable at the same time. He's like he is getting the job done, but also Cooper's getting the job done because his dreams turn out to have a they turn out to be prophetic. They turn out to be like genuine. Right. They are a source of real world knowledge as well. So you've got the kind of the, the sciencey side of things and then you've got the, the more supernatural side and, and they're they're kind of they're both valid in this. 
And and that's why I think that Cooper and Albert actually work so well together is because they they might not necessarily be as open to one another's ways of dealing with a case, but I think that they have enough respect for them each other professionally that they're willing to work together. Especially it especially comes to light when um the sheriff punches out Albert because he refuses to release the body. And it it comes across as kind of insensitive, but Albert kind of strikes me as a very practical man of science. You know, a man, he goes by the book. And he, he clearly states his argument very concisely, very precisely. He says, you know, you can, it comes across very cold, the way that it's scripted and the way that Miguel Ferrer delivers his lines. It comes across very cold. He basically says, you can bury a body any day of the week, but I can only perform these tests within a certain amount of time. It's it's a very much of a it's a culture clash here. We've got the 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 residents of Twin Peaks and Albert, who's um, kind of a hard nosed by the book professional, who's <laughs> who will take any chance that he can to take you know it's kind of a cheap shot at what he called you know at at the locals here. But um, on the other hand, we have Agent Cooper, who is. Um, the more that I rewatch this first season of Twin Peaks, I'm curious to see if this carries through throughout the series. He reminds me so much of Jeffrey Beaumont from Blue Velvet, kind of grown up almost. Yeah, yeah, he, he does. It's a similar character, kind of curious and ready to solve the mystery. Right, because I remember, I, I and I don't know the exact quote, but um, in, in some interview... Um, I I think it was Lynch, if not, it was someone close to him, or somebody. Somebody basically summed up Blue Velvet as the Hardy Boys goes go to hell, and um, as oh. so, <laughs> and as someone that always liked a good mystery, um, you know, Blue Velvet really stuck stuck with me. And um, while Blue Velvet is much more just like a, a, a just a a two hour kind of movie that kind of wraps up by the end um we get something like twin peaks which seemingly has no beginning or no end and we talked about this that you know we could we theorize that you know some of these characters have either been around for for years or there's been different incarnations of them um, and then we'll definitely see it in season three when we have, you know, different versions of Agent Cooper wandering around. Um, so anything else that kind of stuck out to you in this particular episode? I mean, we got the the, fu- the funeral scene, which is um, just... I, it's... It's iconic, man. It's iconic. I'm trying to think of some other word. It's chaos and pandemonium. Um, it's it's really funny when it shouldn't be. And and the next scene, it, it, they kind of tell us that it's okay to laugh at it because you see the residents laughing at it too, even though it's also really tragic. Well, that's the thing. I think that we're given yes, we're we're given kind of. I mean, it's almost. I I think that it, it's edited in such a way that we see this this funeral go go to hell basically with Bobby yelling amen 
obnoxiously over and over again. He's very obnoxious in this episode. I re- I rewatched this yesterday. Um, first, there's this scene with him and his father um, where he just he- starts yelling and has an outburst. And then there's the scene at the f- at the funeral. He's very obnoxious in this. Um, it's not like natural yelling either. It's like robotic yelling. Like somebody says, yeah, and he just kind of says, okay, and then yells. Right. So going from like another place. It's kind of a weird performance. Obviously, that's deliberate. It is because I, I know that um, that actor can act. And it was obviously... Yeah. Um, and I think um, Tina Rathburn, the director, uh, was a huge fan of Lynch. Uh, to the point where she actually um, uh, she beat Steven Spielberg to the punch and decided to cast David Lynch in her her movie so uh, and I haven't seen the Fablemans but the only reason that I kind of want to see the Fablemans is to see David Lynch in it Um, yeah yeah I've been seeing tweets about that it's I'm I'm very curious about it from what I from what I gather um, because it's a semi-auto biographical movie about Spielberg I think that um, Lynch plays kind of like a John Ford director that kind of um, was a mentor to him in the in the early in the early years of Spielberg but um, so she's she's very familiar with Lynch you know she um, and he must have seen something in her because I can't see him signing off on being in, in a movie unless that he he saw, you know, kind of like a, a creative, uh, a good creative partnership going there. He doesn't strike me as the kind of person that's just going to take a, a movie role just for the, the hell of, you know, just for the hell of it. Yeah. Um, so, you know, like you said, the funeral scene is so iconic because the last thing that you should kind of think about doing at a funeral is laughing. You know, you shouldn't. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you know, sometimes and then jumping onto the coffin, he screams. Right, it's, it's great. Um, it's like Laura is almost like trying to come back from the dead again. I mean, we saw her in the last episode coming back through a dream, and now she's almost refusing to be buried as the the coffin malfunctions. The coffin malfunction. He jumps on top. Um, the mother yells, "Don't ruin this too!" Um, as if she she yeah, she knows. It, but it, it, we we get to know that she is not who she seems to be in season three. There's clearly something kind of uh, kind of going on there, uh, either psychologically. Yeah, it makes you wonder how long she's possessed. Right, um, and I I think I'm not sure. I'm just gonna bring this up again because I'm not sure if this was from the lost episode or that I already brought it up. That um, her alcoholism rem- reminds me of the the psychic abilities in The Shining and, and Doctor Sleep, and that Danny Torrance uses alcohol to um, kind of uh, tranquilize that psychic um, that psychic uh, power that he has. Um, to subdue yeah, it, like numb or repress the the knowledge or the or the, the traumatic memories, right? It's kind of going on in both texts. It, and not only that, but you know, how many people in real life use alcohol to to numb? You know, they come home from a long day of work and they just you know, 
you have a couple drinks and you, you shake your head like an etch a sketch and the memories go away. So, um, so we have this scene, but we also have we just have this 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 whole episode is just Laura is not gonna let her her death go unsolved. It it she's almost she's we see her um in the in the coroner's office. Um, there's actually a fight over the body, and somebody actually ends up going over. Is it either Albert? Does Albert get punched onto her body? I think, or is yeah. it Donna's? Somebody somebody ends up on top of her in the coroner's office, and then Leland ends up on top of the casket at the funeral. And not only that, we have Laura's cousin um, showing up, also played by Cheryl Lee. And yes, in other ways, she's resurrected, yeah, through her cousin. Right. And she becomes increasingly like Laura, like her voice will change, her hair will straighten, she won't wear her glasses anymore. No, you brought, yes, you brought that up the first time we recorded this episode, and you were spot on with that, that her, she's going to make this evolution into, to Laura, and, um... It'll be interesting to watch this evolution now, knowing that it's going to happen, because I think that it, that this, it becomes, I want to see how it plays out, if it's more so external forces, or this, this cousin character, it's an internal force, because I know that there's going to be this, um, uh, there's the issues with Leland Palmer, who's having like he has like flashbacks. Well, not flashbacks, but he sees Laura when he's looking at the cousin. And then there's going to be um, issues with um, James and um, Laura Flynn Boyle's character coming up. I think she wears a blonde wig at one point to like. I think she meets Dr. Jacoby and she's like dressed up as Laura. That might, I think that happens later. Right. Um, but speaking of Dr. Jacoby, he makes a brief appearance in this episode. Um, yeah, it's quite nasty and chilly. Yeah, he's... it. it he's kind of... Um, I mean, well, he's a psychiatrist, but he's, he's treating... Um, I always I, I forget that this character exists, but uh, Audrey Audrey has a, a is it a younger or older brother? I don't know. He's he's got stunted development, so it's kind of hard to tell. I almost want to say that he's an older brother. He looks older than her. But yeah, I, I just said he had emotional problems. They never actually went into detail about his condition. Right, but I, I I'm guessing that if he's being tutored by Laura, he's probably. Um, you know, in either some sort of special ed program has some, you know, special needs that needs to be going on. Um, but I, I always forget that this, that he's a character. Just like we... Yeah, what, so do I, actually. <laughs> uh, uh, he is a little bit more prominent, but I, I completely forgot. Um, it's just coming back to me now that a couple episodes ago we were introduced to... Um, Laura Flynn Boyle's character has a uh, a younger sister that I completely forgot. Uh, I, it'd be interesting to see when she turns up because I, I I wonder if it's one of those characters that they're like we have too many characters in this town. We don't, you know, not everyone needs to be involved because there's so many interesting characters. You got Big Ed and his wife, 
Um, the Double R Diner. Um, her name is escaping me, but um, Norma. Thank Norma? you, Norma. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and in this, we got a very interesting episode, uh, a little piece of business here in this episode, setting up the return of her uh, husband, who's uh, up for parole. And that's going to kind of throw a little monkey wrench in the whole Norma Big Ed uh, relationship that's going to get uh, downright silly and goofy in, in season two, if, if my memory serves me correctly um oh yeah the cheerleader yeah it's gonna it's gonna get a little uh but we're we're still here in the kind of as much as i hate to say grounded (laughs) world of twin peaks here yeah Yeah, i was gonna say as grounded as it gets uh for this show um and i'm trying to think what else oh I was thinking of the invitation to love, you know, the soap yes. they're watching. It's kind of, it's increasingly becoming Twin Peaks that they live in because all of the Laura Maddie identical twin stuff is kind of previewed in that show. So it's sort of predicted for us. Right. And once again, it kind of, um, similar to the, the way that the funeral happens and then there's, there's the people joking about it um, in the diner yeah. afterwards. It, they're giving like showing the invitation to love on the TV gives us kind of permission to just go with the soap opera ish elements here. It, it's saying that it's okay, you know. It's it's not all going to be like this, but some of it's going to happen. And yes, it, it, soap operas are kind of notorious for. Um, bringing back characters that you thought were dead or long lost relatives or you know you know having kids that you didn't know that you had all that kind of stuff is kind of uh yeah identical twins i mean even on sherlock they say it's it's never twins it's it, even at that i say at this point in twin peaks the twin thing was already a cliche right yeah and and, and and it's, it's almost like a cliche. It's almost like a cliched name like twin peaks is is a very cool name but you know kind of in hindsight, it, it is kind of a, 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 it is the perfect name for a soap opera that you watch at night. Um, um, yeah, and duality as well. Exactly. There's so much duality in this show because there's so many times we'd say, well, is it this or is it that? And usually the answer is it's, it's actually both. Like it's both supernatural and it's realist, both science and like the mystical. Right. And, um, before we get into more of the supernatural stuff, because that actually that door really gets opened at the end of this yeah. episode, uh, we should talk about uh, Cooper's dream, where he basically talks about uh, Bob and Mike, and it's so interesting that you just we were just talking about this duality that we there's a Bobby and a Mike already yeah. in this. In this series, and the fact that they—I don't want to say recycled the names, but I mean I know that the car- the killer Bob and it, well at least the the actor who would go on to play Bob that was all an accident, and the the one armed man. I think that it's very telling that um, that that you would come across repeat names. That's just kind of the nature of of life. 
you know, you go to yeah, school. Never on TV, but in life, it's like, I don't know, coughing. Like, that doesn't happen on TV, even though it happens in reality. You would mess up the rhythm of it. Repeated names kind of would, it would do the same. Exactly. Or a sneezing or something like that. Yeah. But, you know, you go to real life, like one of my best friends in high school, his name was Chris also. I mean, that's just 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 the way things happen. It's just a yeah, you, know, you guys would never have your own show. I mean, it's just it no, just happen. no, it's just, you know, and so I, but I think that it, so that lends itself into the realistic qualities that, you know, it's a small town. These are pretty common names. So, yeah, they're going to, you know, some of these names are going to get, you know, recycled, well, not recycled, but, you know, they're going to have different people with the same names. But then we kind it of... Could be they're evil doppelgangers as well, but I'm not sure how similar Bobby and Bob, those characters are, unless it's like a really, really dark version of Laura's boyfriend, that kind of doppelganger character. Well, we do know that Bobby killed someone. Um, yeah. And we do know that Bob likes to kill, uh, and that Bob and Mike used to have a tattoo that said, Fire Walk With Me, and... The guy that we we find out the one armed man uh, is what has only has one arm because he himself cut off that arm, and it's very interesting. I never kind of uh, this never really registered with me until um, the Twin Peaks: The Return season three. But he talks. Cooper talks about um, these this either one person or this dual personality um, living above a convenience store um, slash gas station, which becomes quite apparent in Twin Peaks, uh, The Return. We're going to see a lot of this creepy gas station. But this is kind of the first mention of such a thing. And stuff like that is why I love going back to watch this series. Like, how, how much... How many breadcrumbs were they leaving for us throughout the throughout this, particularly season one, um, to carry through? Um, season two gets a little bit more messier. Season three is a lot more focused and concise. Well, focused is an odd word. It's focused, but it's all over the place. But it's all- yeah, like it's fine. It's like a mess, but a finely wrought mess. Exactly. It, it, it's it's it, it seems like chaos um, uh, from a distance. It's, it's like it's not random. Yet. It's no, not just in there. No, it, it, the, everything definitely has a, a very um, certain meaning or at least payoff. And so, leading into the supernatural, this is um, this is the episode where. Harry and uh, Hawk introduce Agent Cooper to the, the Bookhouse Boys, and they're invest. Basically, they say that they know that there's something. They don't even. I, I, did they say evil? They might say evil uh, or yeah, darkness or evil or um, it's something like that. Th- referring to the woods and that they've known this for quite some time and that there's been a a, um, a group of um, well I guess men for the lack of a better word a group of men that have uh, kind of battled these forces or at least dealt with these forces in the past and 
it's kind of um it's interesting because it's kind of like an offshoot of the police because we do have members of the police force in the bookhouse boys but it's almost like uh I don't want to say it's a vi- well. I guess it is kind of a vigilante group. They don't really have any. I mean, the the fact that they do have the sheriff involved does lead some uh, credence to their work. But for the most part, they're very much kind of like a vigilante group. But they, they they're it's not like the big members of the patriarchy are in it and kind of use it as like cover ups, right? Like shaping the narrative of the town. It's a, like, yeah, it's like a secret, uh, little secret society kind of doing, you know, kind of, you know, combat either probably as a, as a protection against whatever darkness or evils in that woods that they have some sort of, they do have a, an, a secret line of defense in the bookhouse boys. But we talked about, um, initially when they talk about the bookhouse boys, there's a there's a gesture, uh, one finger to the nose, and yeah, like Laura's little lodge, right? But they change it here to a finger to like the side of your eye, um, and I think you and I were were theorizing that they might have changed it because the reference to cocaine is the finger to the nose. That's kind of like. Um, the universal symbol for doing cocaine, I guess. Yeah. Um, Isn't it an Yeah. And um, so here the Bookhouse Boy, they, they changed it to kind of, uh, to really kind of set it, um, set it apart. And unless you're um, an Eagle Eye viewer or a, a, a Twin Peaks uh, a holic like I am, you're going to go back and notice something um, as a, as obtuse as that, but yes, they did change the little bookhouse boys uh, signal. Um, but then we get the the investigation of Leo and um, Audrey Horn reveals what One Eye Jax is, um, and uh, her little flirtations with with Agent Cooper continue throughout this this um, this episode, but. Um, we both agree that it's it's best that it kind of remains as an as an honest kind of like schoolgirl, pardon the expression, schoolgirl crush on um on you know a man of an authority or a man in uniform, whatever it may be. But um, I it, it just shows how much chemistry that this cast has together, especially um. Cooper, uh, Kyle MacLachlan, um, interacting with all these different people. Inter- you know, his interactions with the the people of Twin Peaks, um, Alberts, you know, the sheriff. It's all so. It's wholesome, and he really stands out in such in stark contrast to all this kind of absurdity and and evil and darkness that's going on around him but i mean that's kind of that's kind of why the show kind of hit on because he's our uh our avatar our proxy into twin peaks you know he's taking up he's he's finding out about twin peaks just as we're finding out about twin peaks 
So I think it's kind of like the perfect setup for that kind of um, that kind of uh, show, and it, it really kind of starts to pay off here. I think the show really started to find its starts to find its legs here. Um, in the in yeah, like when he said break the code, solve the crime, it's almost like he's telling us to to figure it out with him. Like as viewers, and there's all these kind of clues peppered throughout the episodes. Right, and um, just a lot of yeah. And each time I go back and watch, I'm like, oh, there's there's different things to notice, and that's the sign of a quality, um, okay. quality uh, piece of entertainment, whether it be a movie, book, um, song, whatever. If is if you can go back, revisit it. And um, enjoy what you always enjoyed, but then notice new little things here and there. Um, Speaking of little things here and there, I wanted to mention this to you and then ask for your thoughts on it. This was um, a script. I'm going to read the description for a scripted scene that was never shot. Um, but was supposed to be in this episode. Um, So, Cooper visits the graveyard and meets an elderly groundskeeper who recites a long speech telling Cooper that if he puts his ear to the ground, he can hear those who are buried singing due to their coffins expanding. The scene was cut due to problems casting the groundskeeper. Was he going to be recurring or just... uh show up once I'm get- I don't know I look at this. it's an old guy is it I don't know it just, he's they, they did stay elderly groundskeeper so but it does seem like the kind of thing that, that would happen in Twin Peaks that it's this does seem like the kind of dialogue the groundskeeper would say that if you, you put your ear to the ground you can hear uh, corpses singing because it's coffin The it's actually the sounds of coffins expanding that seems very um It seems Lynchian to me, although, and I know that, you know, and any, you know, the credit goes to, to Harley Payton, but as I talked to some other Twin Peaks fans, um, uh, really need to give a lot of credit to Mark Frost. I think that he was kind of, um, he kind of ran the writer's room there. Um, he was the head, so like all scripts would have to go through him, um, and to Lynch, to um, to a certain extent, um, I think that's going to become less of the case in season two because I'm pretty sure that um, I think that Lynch is working on Wild at Heart at the time of season two is being made. But um, again, a nice tight screenplay, some excellent uh, directorial work here, and I'm I'm curious to see um, the next episode that. Um, Tina Rathburn directed, I, I believe it's in season two, but we're going to have to keep our eyes on Harley Payton because he, um, I think he's one of the key writers here, um, especially in season one and probably the good parts of season two. Um, and of course, Mark Frost, uh, who unfortunately gets kind of over overshadowed um, largely, not, and I'm not pointing the finger, I do it myself. Um, yeah, so yeah, the kind of the auteur um, concept, yeah, that, that's gone in academia, but it's still very strong in, in pop culture. We do 
not put a face to works so we will associate it with directors and we do with Night Before Christmas as well and Tim Burton we don't automatically think of Henry Selick even though he, he was the director yeah there's a very good article out there kind of um, and he's he's rightfully kind of irked at the fact that it, yeah. everyone <laughs> always says it's Tim Burton's Nightmare Before Christmas and let's not not to undermine the fact that you know um, Tim Burton did come up with a lot of the story and a lot of the yeah. the design and everything, but it, let's let's not forget that he didn't direct it, and not only that, but the songs that are so memorable were written by Danny Elfman. So I mean, there's there's a lot of um, depending depending on the movie or depending on the the piece of media, there can either be a lot of um, there's got to be a lot of cooks in the kitchen, kitchen regardless. But some of them are going to be the he, you know the head chef, and some of them are going to be the sous chef. You know, there, there's going to be different levels of um, of involvement. But I know at this point in the series that this was very much um, every script and every choice as far as um, who's going to direct an episode and whatnot. It w- would go through Lynch and and through Frost. So um, they definitely they 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 know who they're working with, and they don't want to kind of pass their baby off to, to just anybody. You know, they 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 want to have a say in who carries on. Um, kind of similar to uh, Sam Raimi in the Evil Dead movies. You know, he hasn't directed an Evil Dead movie since Army of Darkness, and. Uh, but he handpicked the 2013 director Fede Alvarez, and uh, I know that he handpicked the director for the the upcoming Evil Dead Rise. Um, yeah, I like that. I like that the, you get that kind of stamp of approval from the original. And it doesn't always work, but um, in this case, it, it probably will. Yeah, yeah. So we'll have to wait and see about that. But I got to say, for the for this, um, I kind of want to see. Um, I should mention what Tina Rathburn's movie is with, with David Lynch that would be Zelly and Me uh, from 1988 and um, based on a novel and um, oh no I'm sorry not based on a novel but one of the criticisms was this type of storytelling would be better suit for a novel so I don't know looks interesting uh not only does it have david lynch in it it's got his uh frequent uh co-star um well collaborator collaborator and um both on screen and off screen because i believe they were a couple for a uh a while uh isabella rosalini is in it too so uh i'm gonna have to get my i'm gonna have to track this down zelly and me so that was um and then um, I did mention, of course, that I knew Harley Payton um, as the the screenwriter for Less Than Zero. So lots of good names here associated with Twin Peaks for this episode. Uh, other, I'm going to say, other than the funeral scene, because that's kind of that, like you said, it's so iconic. What was the kind of standout either character or standout scene for you in this episode? 
Um, after the funeral scene, I like the closing scene where um, Leland is um, looking around the, the bar for someone to dance with, and then they take him home because he's obviously in a really distressed state. And when they say, like, we're going to bring you home, the music turns quite ominous. So it's like there's a hint that there is something wrong at home. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's kind of foreshadowed with the with with his wife at the funeral saying, don't ruin this too. Um, something, yeah, something's wrong at home. I like that. There is, there's, there is something wrong at home at the, in this, uh, in the Palmer household. Uh, for me, uh, Albert was a, another standout. I just think he's so funny. And, um, yeah. Miguel Ferreira has always been one of those character actors. I think I first saw him in the original Robocop movie. Um, yeah, that's where I know him from, yeah. Yeah. And uh, I've just been a fan ever since. He's got such, and he's his deadpan delivery as Albert is so good. Um, and it, it, it's very, it's interesting because I think back to Twin Peaks Fire Walk with me when um, when he and Cooper are talking before the the, the scene takes place before the uh, events of Twin Peaks because they're talking about. Laura Palmer before she's murdered um, and uh, it's just such a great that's just I mean that's the movie so we don't we don't talk about it but they have such um, such different deliveries but they play off each other so well um, Albert has this very kind of um, sarcastic dry kind of I want to say British wit and Cooper has this very kind of optimistic naivete almost um, but they, they, they complement each other very very well so um, I'm very much looking forward to episode 4 next week um, any final thoughts on this episode Dr. Travers and it's just that it's still really strong and it's just as good as I remember it, if not better, because I'm noticing all of these details again. Yeah, it's kind of like one of those um those books that if like the sequel comes out you'll you'll uh you read the sequel, you be like, Oh, and then, you know, a couple weeks go by, you'd be like, oh, I'm gonna go back and reread that, uh and kind of see if you can recapture the magic. And sometimes it's there and sometimes it's not and um so far Twin Peaks we're we're still we're still uh we're we're only halfway through season 1 so we haven't really hit um the the real lunacy uh, so to speak that's 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 coming our way in season 2 for Dr. Sean Travers my name is Chris thank you for joining us so uh thank you so much for joining us here on Twin Peaks Talk we will be back next week we are back scheduled so hopefully these will be coming out weekly Tune into the Cold Film Companion podcast. Follow uh, Dr. Travers on Instagram and Twitter. Order her book and send her some love on her birthday. So uh, (laughs) thank you once again for joining us. We'll talk to you again real soon.